Hey, welcome to the Wildscast. I I don't even have words for the conversation that I just had with one of the most special people I've ever met. And that is Mrs. Rena Quint, who uh, I was introduced to by my daughter, Avigail. My daughter, Avigail, is studying in seminary in Israel. And for the last year, she's been visiting uh, at least once or twice a week, a Holocaust survivor. And I've just been getting these incredible stories about the experiences that my daughter's had meeting this woman. And she said, Dad, Abba, you have to interview her, given what's going on in Israel today. Because somebody who saw what she saw, what she lived through, she's an unbelievable survivor of the concentration camps, and what she lived through, and what now is happening to our brothers and sisters in Israel. You know, people are making this analogy, and they're making this connection between the way the Nazis treated the Jews in the Second World War and the Holocaust and what and how Hamas, their barbarism, the horrific acts of brutality that Hamas perpetrated against Israel in the South, right? That that connection is so real and so strong. So who better to speak to about that than someone who actually lived and survived and saw the atrocities of the Nazis and now is living? now is living through these atrocities. How can we get some imuna? How can we get some inspiration and faith and perspective and what to do about the situation going on in Israel? Let's not only talk to people who are young and on the ground. Let's also talk to people who've been there, who survived these types of experiences before, because unfortunately history repeats itself. And Israel, my friends, has, has been through literally its own Holocaust. In, in 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 terms of the way what 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 transpired two weeks ago so please listen to this conversation it's incredibly important this woman is amazing she is so bright and and insightful she has uh and you'll hear this 22 grandchildren and and 46 great grandchildren and many of them are on the front lines about to be deployed into Gaza to fight into Hamas. Listen. Uh, welcome to the Wilds cast and welcome, Mrs. Rena Quint. This is such an honor and a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so, so much for joining. It's really an honor. Thank you. So before we start, um, I've known your family for many, many years through my dad, who knew your late husband. Oh of blessed memory and such respect and regard from him. But now our relationship has been sort of reconnected through my daughter, who's been spending a lot of time with you. Thank you. And I want to thank you before I start for spending time with her because she's gotten so much out of this relationship. Uh, for those of you listening, my daughter's studying in seminary in Jerusalem in Yerushalayim. This is where Mrs. Quint is right now. Uh, and they have a wonderful relationship. So, Avigail, thanks for making this happen. <laughs> um, tell us she's a little. In class. <laughs> yeah, she's in class. Exactly. Uh, tell us a little of your background, uh, where you're from, and specifically what happened during the war. Um, I okay. want to. I, I must tell you that speaking about the war now is sort of contradictory to what I'm feeling because I keep on thinking of the war that we have in Israel right now. And yeah. things are very bad. I feel um, I'm really very nervous about it. And so, although we live in Yerushalayim, and you don't feel it this way, but right. I've got twelve boys in the army, from the north to the south and in between. So 
when I think of the war. But if you want me to tell you a little bit about my Holocaust experience, I was born in a city called Pietrakow, mm -hmm. which is in Poland. Mm -hmm. And in distinction of being the first ghetto that was organized when the Nazis came in September 1st, 1939. We lived in the Jewish section, we meaning my mother, my father and my two brothers, Yassi and David. And as soon as they came in, they put a barbed wire fence around the Jewish section, and that was known as the ghetto. Mm -hmm. And soon after that, Jews living outside of the walled area that we were in weren't allowed to live there, they were brought into the ghetto. And a little bit later, people in smaller towns and villages came into our city. So you can imagine our homes were very crowded. There wasn't enough food. There wasn't enough um, medicine. People were dying. People were sick. There wasn't enough heat. And Poland is a very cold country. Mm -hmm. But my mother apparently came from a well-to-do family. So she had some money and jewelry that she was able to barter for some food. Early on, they came and they took my father to a slave labor factory, the Hortensia Glass Factory for mm -hmm. men. And he was sort of lucky to be taken because there were rumors flying that the, the Nazis were putting people into gas chambers and shooting them and mass grade. Nobody wanted to believe these things. After all, Germans are sophisticated cultured people. Unfortunately, we found out everything was true. My father was taken away I stayed in the house with my mother and my brothers. And one night in the middle of the night, there was banging down at the door and Ukrainian and Nazis came in yelling, Rouse, Rouse, Schnell, you got 10 minutes to pack up whatever you need and run down the stairs in our place. We were on the first floor, one flight down. And people fell on top of each other. People took whatever you could. What can you imagine you're taking? If you were smart, you would take clothing or you would take food you have to take the baby. You need something for the baby. When I think about what's happening in the war now, these people couldn't take anything and people are mm. are missing. And I just couldn't help put the, the two together. Yeah. And we ran down there and we were taken to a big ghetto, a, a big square. And in that square, they beat us and they chased us until we brought to the synagogue. Rabbi Lau, mm -hmm. he was the... the um, the rabbi in the synagogue. Before him was my Rabbi Meir Shapiro. Oh, and wow. He, he, he married my parents. I found my parents' marriage license. But he left Pietrigo to go to Lublin. So just uh, so everyone just knows Rabbi Lau, you're talking about Rabbi Israel Meir Lau's father. Right. Right. He I, was the rabbi of your family synagogue. His son, everyone who's listening, later became the chief rabbi of Israel. And now and his grandson. And and wow and the, right and how his grandson is the chief rabbi, and you're yeah. saying that the rabbi before him was was um was rabbi Mayor Shapiro, Shapiro. Right. started the whole Daf Yomi um, right. right wow but then okay. he left Daf anyway right. from the square we were chased into the synagogue the big synagogue where Rabbi Lau was the rabbi mm -hmm. two thousand people had been gathered they couldn't get that many people into the synagogue or to the base medrash there. So whoever could get in was then put in, and the others were taken to the forest. They had to dig graves, and they were shot into those graves. 
I went into the synagogue with my mother and bright brothers. They took out the Sefer Torah, they took out the Chumashim and the Sidorim and everything was on the floor and there were no bathrooms and people had to go to the bathroom. They made, they took out the Talesim and, so, and, and made them clean up the floor with it. It was real bedlam, it was terrible. But somehow or other, I was with my mother I must have been holding on tightly to my mother because that's how, how old were you? I, you were you were I'm very six. young. The war started. Wow. I was three and a half. At this mm-hmm. point, I am six. Mm-hmm. My brothers are eight, nine and a half. And there was a door in the back of this uh, synagogue. There are no there's no synagogue now anymore. There are no Jews there. It's a library, but you can still see the door. I sent you a picture of it. Mm-hmm. And there was a man on the other side, and he beckoned to me, and he said, "Run, run." Either I was very stupid, or I was very brave, or I was very Mm -hmm. naive. Maybe my mother pushed me, maybe God pushed me. I ran out. That was the last time I saw my mother and my my brothers, aunts and uncles, and the rest of all those people. They were taken to Treblinka, where they were put into um, gas chambers, and then their bodies thrown out. Um, I never saw my mother and brothers again or anybody, any of those people. But this man took me to my father. My father hugged me and kissed me, but what was he going to do with a girl? This was a boy's, a man's factory. So for a while he hid me, and the other men helped me. People always helped me. And then he said, you know what? From now on, you're not a little girl anymore. You're a boy. Your name isn't Fredja, it's Froyum, and you're 10 years old. 10-year-old boys could work. So I became a boy. Say it again, Froim, I'm a boy, my name is Froim, I'm 10 years old, I'm 10 years old, my name is Froim. Say it so you remember, I did. And I worked very hard. Rabbi Lau worked in that factory and his brother Naftali Lavi also worked in that factory. But one day when the Allies were getting closer, they decided to send all the Jews out of the concentration and extermination camps and the work camps. And we put onto those awful cattle cars and for... I don't know how long we were in those locked cattle cars with nothing to eat, nothing to drink, and no toilet. How many people died on that trip? Until we crossed from Poland to Germany. And when we got there, we jumped out on the snow. We used the snow to eat it and to drink it and look Mm -hmm. around who was still there. And while we were getting used to this, Nazis came and they made an announcement. There There were women's camps that came also that they're separating the men and the women. My father realized I couldn't go with him anymore because when you go into a camp, you have to get undressed. Mm. He met a school teacher and he asked her if she would take, keep an eye on me, promised mm-hmm. to meet me, promised to meet me. He gave me a picture of the family and he promised, but he didn't keep his promise. I never saw him. I found a train schedule where he was taken to Buchenwald and I wound up in Bergen-Belsen. And I walked with this woman, and I, I won't go into the story, but we were in Bergen-Belsen, and then she died. And um, the situation in Bergen-Belsen, every day there were dead bodies. And one day, I was lying amongst the dead bodies, knowing that I was going to die. And this was April 15th, and something ha- 1945. Something mm-hmm. happened, and um, soldiers wearing different uniforms, speaking a different language, came in. And they were the British, and we said, we're the British Army. We've come to liberate. You're free. You're free. You can go. Go home. Well, where is home? I don't know the language these British are speaking. I don't have a mother. I don't have a father. The British had a hard time. First thing they had to do was bury 10,000 bodies. 
And how did, and, and can I just, how did, how did you survive? You said you were, I mean, how did you physically, don't you don't know. And you were how old now? You're now. I did. I did. Not only did I survive, but after the war, I mean, I must've been sick during the war, but I don't remember that. But, but when the, when the British, um, uh, when they rescued us, um, they sent the children to Sweden for displaced mm -hmm. persons camp. And I was very sick. And uh, first I was in one camp. I have all this proof, not that I remember everything. And then I was sent to a hospital and um, uh, I have the, the records of my temperature and I had typhus and diphtheria. How do you survive typhus and diphtheria? I don't know, except God meant for me to be here. Maybe to speak to you, maybe to welcome in people now from the, from the South who need a home in Yerushalayim, maybe to meet your daughter. All I know is that there's no way I could have survived, but I did. And um, while I was in Sweden, I was waiting to go to Palestine. There was no Israel. This was 1946. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I met a woman who had a daughter who was born in Germany. This was a woman from Germany, a Jewish woman. And her daughter died. She had papers that somebody sent her from America for herself, her son and daughter. And she asked me if I want to be her daughter. I always wanted to be somebody's. I got that child's name. I got her birthday. I got her mother. The fact that she was born in Germany, and I came became a new person. Oh my we gosh. came to America, and wow. everything in America was doing well. I'm trying to make it fast, but one <sighs> day this woman died. They were, she had been bitten by a rat or something while she was in the camps, and she brought me to America, and then she died. It's like she completed her job. Oh my god! And um, the family that brought her over had a problem again. They really didn't want a little girl. And I was a little girl. I was almost 10 years old. Mm -hmm. They met a family in Brooklyn, New York. And they asked them if they'd like to meet this little orphan girl. And I went there for Shabbat and stayed for the rest of my life. They asked oh me if gosh. I wanted to stay. They changed my name to Rena. I started off being Fredja and then Fredel. And then I was a boy who was Froyum. And then I was Fanny. And now I'm Rena, which means joy. Fredel means joy. And I had a very good life. I met a wonderful man. We had four children. We have 22 grandchildren. Thank God we have 46 great-grandchildren. 12 of my grandsons are in the army now. That worries me terribly. But my husband was a rabbi and a lawyer. And, and he met your family and uh, he wrote many books on Hoshin Mishpat and Jewish law and uh, and now I live in Israel I give talks in um, Yad Vashem I have many groups coming here and I love living here and I just hope for the best because we're at a very difficult time thank you so so much Rena for sharing that story so eloquently and and quickly because that was your life what tell me what motivated you what inspired you and your late husband of blessed memory who was such a great scholar and so well respected um i remember getting uh, the first edition of his translation of Choshen mishpat and by the way for people listening Choshen mishpat's the part of the shulchan Aruch, the code of jewish law that deals with torts and property law and contracts and uh, your husband was a great scholar in that area what motivated or inspired you to come to israel we sent our children to B'nai Akiva and to Mosheva, which was very, very um, Zionist oriented. Sure. And right after the Six Day War, we started coming 
to Israel every summer. And every time we came, my husband wanted to buy an apartment. And I really didn't feel we needed one. We could stay in, in a hotel or a uh, rent an apartment. Mm -hmm. But one day, my mother, my adopted mother, was at a party and heard about this apartment that we're living in now. And they said it was beautiful and it was big and it was near Ben Yehuda and now it's near mm -hmm. the first station and near the theater, near near the hotel. She went to look at it and she called my husband and he bought it on the phone. And once he bought <laughs> it, we came to see it. And I became the lawyer. I know nothing about being a lawyer, but he was working on a big case. Uh -huh. But we hired a lawyer here. And once we had the house, we said, we're going to come. And he gave up his law practice, which was Quint Marks and Chill. And wow. um, what year and was this? How, how, how long ago was this? We bought it. We came in 84. 1984. And yeah. Uh, well, and we've and, been and, living and, in the same apartment since. And we, our children really did not live here because um, they were married. And one went to Bar Ilan and she was living there and then she got married. But they all came, of course, for Shabbat and their friends. And now I have a lot of the girls from the different um, schools. And I, I speak to many of the, the NCSY and the birthright kids. And I run something called Shabbat of a Lifetime, where mm. people who know nothing about Shabbat some of them are not, not even Jewish. We explain and we eat together and really have a Shabbat Shalom. I hope you come wow. one day. I, I would, it would be such an honor. I, I'm living vicariously through Avigail, through my daughter. She, she, and it's not just her, all of her friends. You have so many fans. I mean, four kids, 22 grandchildren, 46 great grandchildren. I, I just, one on, three on the way. <laughs> Bishat Tova, that's amazing. Uh, Avigail said to me, I have to ask you about these letters. You, you, uh, you have to tell us something about letters my, and your husband. Uh, my husband was a real romantic, real romantic. Every day, he wrote me these little posted letters, you know, those uh, here. These are his, this this uh, kind of thing. Yeah. And some of them are on big papers from, the, um, from a computer. And they weren't formal letters, it's just... I love you. I miss you. Shabbat Shalom. Looking mm -hmm. forward to a lovely Shabbat or your my whole life and just beautiful small things. But every day for 60 years, I got enough. 60 years. For, yeah. Oh, my God. All right. All the husbands and aspiring husbands listening <laughs> to this. This is really I'm embarrassed. I don't even know what to I have say. A book. I put four <laughs> of them into my book. I wrote a book called A, a Daughter of Many Mothers. Uh, where was the book? And uh... sorry, it fell down. Can you see oh, it? Beautiful. Yeah. All right, we yeah. need to get it for the MGE library. You can get it from Amazon, mm -hmm. or I speak to the girls at um, M M uh, Mimbo on Yom Hashoah. Yeah. I speak mm -hmm. to the various uh, girls, and uh, um, I, I last year I had um, a Derek Weiss. She went back. Now it's coming back. Yeah, yeah, I know it. Yeah, she and and um, Ariana and and anyway, they used to come every week, and then one Friday, one Saturday night, they said some of their friends want to come over. 
I said, okay. Then she called back a few minutes later. Some other people could know. Okay. Okay. Before we knew it, we had 43 girls. From a, <laughs> <laughs> it was wonderful. And they brought leftover challah and I had leftover challah and we made French toast for everybody uh, at the last minute. That is so special. Uh, uh, tell me, and this is one of the reasons, I mean, I've always wanted to interview you, but I, I want to know from the perspective of someone who saw what you saw in the camps, in that synagogue where you were somehow able to escape and then see your father and be a, everything you've heard about what happened two weeks ago on Simchas Torah in Israel. Uh, what, what what is going through your mind? Just to, absolutely, I am terrified of what's happening. But we got up that morning to the siren in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And even though I never do this, but I put on the television right away to mm -hmm. find out what was happening. And we found out that many of the terrorists from Hamas went into the area and different kibbutzim in the south. And yeah. we were at war right away. We were at war. And there were babies crying. There were two four-year-olds who were taken hostage. And there were mothers and and children separated and old people and even Holocaust survivors. And they came in and there are pictures where they shot people. Their cribs are filled with with blood and, and they decapitated people and they they tortured them and they um, they even raped women and they took hostages. And to this day, we still don't know where they are. They're hiding them in some sort of tunnels. And when I think about these children crying for mommy, mommy, and their mommies couldn't answer because they were dead or they were taken away. And what are they doing being there? Do they have food? Do they have clothing? Do the babies have diapers? And how, how would they ever get over it? I don't know. The pain and the fear is just more than, than, than I can possibly explain to you, except to say, you know, there were so many similarities. The Nazis wanted to eradicate all the Jews. Hamas wants to eradicate all of Israel. Hamas and Hezbollah, and, and now they're bringing in the West Bank, and we've got all these enemies on every part. But there is a difference. We have mm -hmm. a state. We have an army. We have even the United States and Britain. The United Nations is not for us. Um, he made a terrible... Um, speech like yesterday, yeah, yeah. very frightening, and and um, many of those people are hostages. I don't know if they're alive, but I'm not sure if they're better off being dead if they be if they were treated as badly as they were when they were caught. The houses, the the people who died because they were burnt alive, and they found this because with the forensic, when they when the Zaka picked them up, they found smoke in their trachea. Which showed that it was they were still alive and breathing because the smoke was in there. They burnt the houses down. People were in safe rooms and they locked those through and they shot through them. It it was just a real massacre, a real horrendous massacre. It uh, the one day thing was probably even more atrocious. The Nazis did this for six years and in one day, they a thousand four hundred people. It took 200 sausages and many, many mutilated and hurt. And they even went to a festival where people went to, to sing and dance and, and, and meet each other and try to, to live life. And they went to this festival and they killed Jews. They also killed Bedouins and Thailandese and people who were working there. They didn't care who. Anybody they saw with machine guns, they 
they just butchered them, just butchered. So it's not a far, it's not a stretch to say that this is a pogrom and this yes. is r reminiscent of what you experienced in the Holocaust. Yeah. Had, had, do you think the world, Rena? do you think the world is going to take this no. as seriously as the world, I, no. after the fact, took the Holocaust? No. No, I don't think the world is because I, I've been watching television and um, like 60% of, of the college campuses are against us. Yeah. And they don't yeah. know. And they keep on saying from the river to the sea, they don't know what, what that means is that there will be no Israel. Every part of Israel now, they want to be Palestine. And you know what? I keep on saying in 1947, there was partition. They didn't accept that and they were fighting. In 1948, we made a state. We didn't have East Jerusalem and we didn't have the West Bank and we didn't have the Golan Heights and still they hated us and they still wanted to wipe us out. So now they say they want this land back and that. We didn't have it. They right. started the Six-Day War, and we had all these people from Syria and Lebanon and, 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 and Egypt all fighting in Jordan. And we have more arms now. We have better prepared. We weren't prepared at that time. But God was with us at that time, and we need to pray and hope that God will help us this time. Do you think if we share information like you just shared with us you know we didn't start the six-day war the arabs attacked the jews the day after partition was decided upon by a majority of countries in the united nations that all of this happened before there was any west bank before there was a gaza strip we were attacked right. do you think if we just keep i mean I'm, i've been teaching a series of classes for the last couple of weeks at mge i don't know if you know the organization it's for 20s and 30s it's in new york city and, um, you know, a lot of people are just not well versed. They don't yeah. know what happened. They don't know how, you know, this occupy. I mean, Israel gave back the Gaza Strip. You know, when you say give back, that's exactly what happened in 2005. Sharon, I was there. Mm -hmm. My husband was the scholar in residence in Gush Katif. Mm -hmm. And we were going to go back on the bus and the bus was stopped and we had to return to the hotel because Arik Sharon said that we're giving back Gush Katif. And they had our Jewish soldiers put people who were living there out, pulling yeah. them out. Yeah, and as I soon remember. as they got them, and Sharon said, listen, we're going to give up this land, but for that, we're going to have peace. And it was yeah. worth it. And the people in Ashkelon and Ashdod and Steyrod said, don't do it. They're going to come into us. And he said, no, no, we're going to give this back and we'll have peace. Well, you know what? We didn't. All yeah. we get is missiles from them now. Yeah, I, 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 you're, you're sharing. I was in Israel that summer in 2005, and our tour guide at the time, who was a military person, was in favor of the disengagement. And he said the same thing. He said, this is going to be good because we have to protect seven, 8,000 Jews from a million hostile Arabs. Better to give it back. It doesn't have the same religious significance as Yehuda Vishomron, as Judea Samaria on the West Bank. And they really thought, I mean, I, you know, 20, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, they really thought that yeah. by doing so, they would give an opportunity for the Palestinians to create their own state. But they did. But, you know, they didn't. There were so many chances. And there has, the Palestinians, just, many of them are still living in camps and in squalor. There are no Jews living in tents anymore. 
Everybody no. found jobs and everybody found work, whether it's being in high tech or being teachers or doctors or sweeping the floor, but they're all working and they're yeah. all producing. And the people who came from um, from from Yemen and from, from Jordan, and from, those were thrown out of their homes. They never remember that. But, but let me ask you this, Rena. You know, after you experienced what you experienced in the Shoah and losing your family, I mean, there was no state, there was no government, there was no army. And now you, as a citizen of Israel, have experienced this trauma that unfolded on the southern border of Israel. It's still unfolding. It's still happening, right. Do you feel like, do you have a little more confidence and and uh, are you more optimistic because we have a government, we have a country, we have, you know, we could fight back now. Like, what did we have after, you know, before 48? What did we have for someone like yourself who was orphaned and coming? Uh, you know, I'm just wondering All if you're at hope, hope and prayer. We have an army and we have guns and we probably have bombs. But we, everybody, there's so many people against us and so yeah. many people. I wish I could go and talk to these people because they don't understand. They say we want to go to Al-Aqsa. We don't need Al-Aqsa. We don't want Al-Aqsa. Matter of fact, if we're looking for the temple, which we'll never find because that's under the dome of the rock. They don't talk right. about that. They talk about Al-Aqsa and that it's called the rock because it was the foundation stone of, of, of the world. And that's where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac but God saved him. So they, they, people just, they keep on saying, we're coming to try to get the Al-Aqsa, the Al-Aqsa yeah. war. Nothing like it, nothing like it at all. And there's enough food and there's enough water and there's enough land if we could learn to share it. Yeah. And yes, yeah. they, 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 they the, some of the Arabs, if you go into our hospitals, if you go into the Knesset, if you go into the Supreme Court, if you go shopping, you see Arabs who are doing it who are there, and they say we can't go. They can't come into every place in Israel. We can't go to Ramallah. We can't go to Janine. And Hebron, I saw a YouTube with the squalor and terrible parts of Hebron, but that's a very small part of Hebron. If you yeah. go any further, Hebron is the most beautiful city in the Arab section. Nobody knows that. I didn't know it until I found it in a magazine where somebody mm -hmm. secretly went in there. But people think that it's just all squalor, which is not true. Well, I I, I feel, and I'm so happy you're sharing this, you know, and even though it's not, these are very dark times for the Jewish people and you're being just straight with us. And I appreciate that. But you have such a, a historical perspective. You have such a vantage point of having survived the Shoah you, I don't have to tell you, Mrs. Quint, you need to continue to speak. You need to continue. And I, I so I speak whenever, I, whenever I can, but I've been speaking about the Holocaust. But right now, it's, you know, when I think, when I think of myself, I think that I must have gone through tremendous uh, trauma when I lost my mother and then I got another one. I lost her and I lost her. But you know what? I don't think about that anymore because mm -hmm. I had a good life and things have gone from the age of 10. I had good parents. They weren't my biological parents, but they were wonderful parents. I didn't have any brothers, but I had cousins that I got through them. And I had a wonderful husband and children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And I, I feel so lucky because for a child who was all alone, all alone, the only one, to now have 
all these, this family is just, and they, they all want me to come for Shabbat. And we're very, very close. And right That's now beautiful. I do go there because I just don't want to be home alone. Is that is that the picture behind you of some of your family? I see. Yes. Yes. Oh, I don't see the picture. Yes. Oh, literally part. right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of them. These are two others. Mm -hmm. They they lived in New York, but they just made Aliyah. Mm -hmm. And um Wow. And I have lots more pictures. Uh, and you said that 12, have, you said that 12 of your grandchildren? Grandsons, yes. Yes. Are, are... I was interviewed by uh, NBC and mm -hmm. he wanted to know how many of them are biological grandchildren. I don't right. know why that matters because right. my son-in-law that's married to my granddaughter or it makes no difference. They're, they're, they're my children. They're your they children. Want to know the difference. So they're five biological and the others are through marriage, but we're very, okay. Very they're all they're all your grandchildren, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And there's twelve. And where are they now? They, they're they're on the. Oh, do you know where they, they are? I I I know where some of them are. I know there's one up in um in the Tula in, in mm -hmm. Kiryat Shmona. There's mm -hmm. some down south. There's mm -hmm. some in tanks that are going back and forth. There was one in Steyrot who mm -hmm. was helping because he knew Steyrot because he went to yeshiva there. And they're all over. They're all over, um, doing whatever it's, they have to do to protect our world. I mean, so I'm I sure, I, I'm sure you're very concerned for them, but um, I'm sure you're also very proud. No. Um, and you know what? Our country has really come together. A few yeah. weeks ago, there were all these Afghanistan and being fighting with each other about different things. Now people are cooking. I'm I'm getting people to live in my house. People who who. The, uh, the hotels have been opened up. I have a granddaughter who's a social worker. She works with, with the people from down south because they're so traumatized. And they need mm -hmm. things like medicine, and they can get the medicine, but they need a prescription. And don't get a prescription. You need a doctor, and you have to prove mm -hmm. that you belong to, to a, a plan. And they don't have anything. Everything was, was torn up and burned and go there, and she's trying to help them. And I... At the age of eighty-seven, is making pizzit. <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. Somebody, I have who, a picture. Who, who, who are you making tzitzis with? Who's who are you doing? Oh, that all with? the soldiers. They gave some uh, some very good man donated the beggar, which is like the coat, the yeah, the garment, like a yeah, vest, yeah. but it's green. It's a khaki mm -hmm. color, and then we got strings, and we had to take four strings, four short ones, and one long one. And then you tie them together and you make a mm -hmm. knot and then you put the long one around seven times and you say and then you have another one for eight and another one for 11 or 13 and it says for Shema Yisrael and that is what we have to think about. And, 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 and people who are not religious now want to wear, put these on. I guess you just want to be closer and you'll do anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I you know, have two grandsons who who are uh, in different parts of the army who wear tefillin, and there were many of their soldiers don't, and they've been lining up to borrow it. That, that is was, gorgeous. Nobody could imagine that anybody would be in that position. I hope that these boys who are putting on the tzitzis that you yourself made, I hope they know where where those tzitzis are coming from. Who. Who tied those knots? The well, love. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of people doing it, and there are a lot of co people cooking. Yesterday, somebody came to collect sheets and uh, white sheets and uh, and tablecloths because they were making signs all over 
we're yeah. strong, we're, we're, we love you, and, and all the different things to put around, and they're doing it on white sheets and tablecloths. People are doing whatever they can. And there have been a lot of volunteers donating a lot of money. And um, my grandsons told me they got uh, chargers for their phone and sunglasses and, and visors and then shoes and socks and underwear and anything that, that, that you can imagine. They said they had enough candy. But right now we just need we just need the help of God because we're really in a lot of trouble. Very, very, very And 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 Rena, what can what um you know? I'm in New York here. What what do you? What's your message to us New Yorkers? Um, I I would like you to tell everybody that there's no reason to fight. That we we have enough of everything. All we have to do is really make peace. But we have to get rid of Hamas because they they caught some of the people and they found manuals that they were instructed to go in and just kill kill yeah. and torture and read this is instructions little and and they had some sort of uh, amphetamine i don't know what yeah some drug some drug that that makes them the, that they could be strong and without feeling and, and be as ruthless as they possibly can and they were the kind i mean can you imagine decapitating person and they uh, one of the people from zaka said he went and he saw a pregnant woman and he had turned her over to bury her and they oh, they opened her stomach and took out the baby and stabbed the baby i mean these are even animals don't act no, like that no animals don't act that way i Cruelty. Uh, my my uh my wife and i went last night um in new york there were a couple of the families <clears throat> who have kids that are hostages and they came and they spoke at the UN yesterday. I hope that helps. One of the things, and anyone who's listening to this, one of the things, one of the mothers whose son was at that uh, rave, she's from Yushalayim. She's from like German colony, not too far from where you live. And she said, like when you're making your coffee in the morning, pick up the phone and call one of your elected officials, call the mayor, call the, and 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 I sent that out on a WhatsApp. If anyone who's listening to this wants to get some phone numbers, it's very easy. You literally just Google your member of Congress, and literally every day, today is the 18th day that the hostages are still there, and you need to call Qatar, and you need to call um, Egypt. You have to pressure the United States to pressure these other governments to force Hamas to return these hostages. And, um, I mean, we're just looking. We're desperately looking for ways to help because we're just sitting here on the sidelines um you know so if there's anything else you know we're going to dive just in talk but to as many people and show them the pictures i don't know if the pictures have appeared in the um in the new york times or in any mm -hmm. of the magazines but if you see not not, a, not enough not enough okay some, we some. sending them we should be yeah. sending them out rooms yeah. covered completely with blood not just in the bed, all over the walls, yeah. babies yeah. completely, and 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 the and the body bags of uh, people. Who how do you, uh, Rena? How, how do you maintain your your? Uh, Abigail said to me, my daughter. She said, "You're such a mom, and you have such a mooner. You have such incredible faith. It's kept you." Well, I had two girls here today from Torah Vavoda, and they mm -hmm. came in, and we didn't talk about the war, and I didn't have the television on. And they made cake and they made um, sakshuka. And mm -hmm. they, they, they come and they're helping an old lady. And we just have a good time. We're living <laughs> life to the fullest. We're doing everything yeah. we can. 
And Abigail was supposed to come tomorrow. I was hoping hoping she would come tonight, but she has class. But they're going, they went to the rabbi's house yesterday and they go on trips and they're going to see things. And just being in Israel and being Jewish and part of the Jewish people means so very, very much. But I I don't know what we can do except to tell them, let them know, even though they don't want to believe us. I wish the pictures would be going around. I'm sure we can get pictures from the... uh, well, I see it on my television all the time, and you can get them off and show it to them, show to to whoever was willing to look at it. Yeah, I mean, we had oh. people. Biden came, and and um, uh, Trudeau came, and Macron came, and and the mayor of the, of New York came. They all came, and they all saw, and they all spoke about it. And I hope they will help us. I hope so too. And I just saw a very encouraging. 10 members of the Senate, of the U.S. Senate, five Republicans and five Democrats are in Israel right now. And I just heard a phenomenal speech from a number of them. Uh, they're tr- trying to really, I mean, I think Biden has taken a very strong stance and Blinken was there, the Secretary of State. Yes. No, it's just that what we have to do is continue to keep it fresh in their minds. How do we get the, the universities, Harvard University and Stanford and, and Columbia, I mean, they just don't know, and they don't know what's being taught, and they just, no. they, I'm telling you, when they say that we're trying to, to kill this, we don't, we're not trying to get our locks at all. We no, haven't all, all these they years. Bought in, we, they, they've, they bought into this this lie that all yeah. that, that, that the Jews are occupiers somehow. They're not aware how this territory came into Jewish possession, and that's why I'm teaching. I'm trying to a lot of open-minded people. How did Israel end up, if the United Nations in 47, 48, did not partition the Gaza Strip and uh, the Golan Heights and the West Bank, um, you know, and the Sinai. So how did Israel come into? Oh, there was a war. How did that war start? Well, there were 465,000 troops poised on every border of Israel about to attack. And Israel struck preemptively and, thank God, defended herself and took back land. And they gave back some of that. They gave the Sinai Peninsula back to Egypt. They gave they gave Gaza back to the Palestinians, but you can't keep giving and back. And the Golan, of course, you the know Golan. So, uh, but people don't know. I'm just saying. I'm trying to answer your question. People don't know these facts. They see the Arab-Israel War of '67. They think uh, Israel just attacked. Uh, people are not aware of simple facts. And I'm trying. I'm trying the best as I can to get in front of as many audience right now as possible. Anyone listening, you want me to come and share? I'm doing a three part series at MG. I just spoke to. 70 birthright moms, very sophisticated, uh, intelligent moms who've been to Israel. They don't know any of this stuff. None of them have studied any of this. So they think all of a sudden Israel is like, and Jews get sucked into this. They have to come here. I have no momentum, which are moms who come. Yeah, right. That's the group I spoke before, momentum. So I I, I used to have the Shabbat of a lifetime. And once every five or six weeks, I would get a group of women like that. They come and they learn about being Jewish and they learn also about the land and about the wars. We have to get people to come over and see. But of course, first we have to get rid of this war. And we have to get the cap. We have to. We we got to get rid a of Hamas ago, first. A year ago, Biden came here, and I was um, asked to meet him. I was mm-hmm. given the privilege of meeting him, and people were very excited. You know that you met Biden, and Biden gave me a kiss, and he talked to me, and all these pictures <laughs> in all the papers. And then during the year, people, I don't like Biden. Biden is old. Biden is this. Biden is that. Now everybody in Israel is so pleased with Biden. Yeah, and we are so grateful that he's willing to help us. 
I hope they do. We really need help desperately. Okay. Well, I, I thank you so much for your time, for giving us such chizuk, such inspiration. Please continue. Hashem should if bless you. If I can you. do anything, and if anybody wants to talk, and if anybody comes to Israel, they are welcome to come visit me. Thank you. Well, yeah. I would love to. I would love to take you up on that. We bring two groups every summer, so let's stay in yeah. touch. It would be such a zuchus and honor. Thank you for the time you've given Avigail, my daughter, and all her friends. Thank you have you. no idea. Uh, you know, it, it, it's always a little unclear who's giving to who here. <laughs> okay, well, they are getting. I they're getting. They are I getting so, so much out of this relationship. So I really, I thank you for taking the time now. And I know you have other people who are interviewing you and Hashem should bless you with continued good health. You should continue to inspire and teach and Thank educate. You. Thank you so much. the wonderful work you're doing and let's work Amen. together. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Amen.